Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello and welcome back to the first episode of 2022. Happy New Year to you all. Now, I don't know if anyone set any New Year's resolutions. Now, last year I did say I was going to try and flow like water. Anyone who actually really knows me would know I still had a fair few tantrums, but I was better than the year before. So this year, inspired by a Tony Robbins documentary I just saw on Netflix, which I totally advise you all to go and watch. He said something that resonated with me, which was, life happens for you, not to you. And as I record this, currently from Mexico, this specific statement has helped me a lot. As many of you may realize, things don't always go to plan when you're this side of the world. So anyone still searching for a New Year's resolution? Of course, drink less, but drink better. Always a good one. But you are more than welcome to take this one on board as well. Now, moving on to today's episode, I am chatting with the absolutely fantastic Jess Lamb, a friend of mine and fantastic wine writer. So we're going to be talking about her journey into writing about wine and her taking the Wine Spirit Education Trust diploma, specifically the Sparkling Wine Exam. So The WSET is not just for the industry. Even at the highest level, the diploma, anyone can take it. So hopefully this episode might inspire some of you that might be thinking about taking your wine education further. Or for those of you taking your diploma right now, perhaps this episode may act as a extra help or support for your sparkling wine exams. And equally, I just want to bring to you all different wine jobs and different opportunities that you can have if you are thinking about getting into the wine industry. So why not writing? So may I wish you all a feliz año nuevo desde México and let's go over to the chat with Jess now. Jess, thank you so much for joining me. Um, How are you today? Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. We've just offline had a little conversation about getting ready to go away various places and all the chaos that brings. So I'm sitting in my office amongst piles of bottles. I've got suitcases. I've got... Many, many dog toys scattered around on the floor. Of course you do. Yeah, she can't decide what she wants to take. (laughs) This is the funny thing. I'm so glad that we record this without a video because just like you've said the same, to be honest, just to put on my desk the laptop and the recording equipment and the wines that we have for today... I literally have had to put everything just all on the floor. It is disgusting. I'm I'm a disgusting human. Yeah. yeah. No, I, okay. I am with you on that. Good. 110%. Oh, I'm so glad we're <laughs> disgusting together. But right, <laughs> we are not here to discuss our own personal habits and how we need to improve in life. We're here to talk about wine and the love that we Ooh. have for wine. So, of course, very boring classic, but uh, I'm hoping um, an interesting answer will come from it. How did you get into the world of wine, Jess? 
<laughs> okay, so I think I have to apologise to anybody that I've told this story to before because <laughs> this is not the first time I've told Oh, this. well, it will be for many of our listeners, so it's fine. <laughs> Um, I fell for wine, I think, when I was working in New Zealand. Mm. So I did a degree in English literature, actually, Mm -hmm. and always thought that I would be a writer or something to do with, you know, words and and media. Yeah. And then actually, I ended up taking a graduate job with an agricultural company. um, Okay. And spent about five years working primarily with dairy cows, which, um, amongst other things, involves quite a lot of looking at poo, (laughs) quite a lot of looking at grass and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. And because there are a lot of dairy cows in New Zealand, there's a few. There's a few. There are Mm -hmm. more animals there of all varieties than people. It is lovely. Ah, I did not know that. Okay. Oh, God, yeah. I think there's three sheep for every person in New Zealand or something crazy like that. I mean, that whole dairy industry has helped the world of wine, right? With the dairy production, stainless steel tanks and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And really, really meticulous hygiene standards. So a lot of agricultural land that was converted into vineyards by farmers was all set up and ready to go because they had these amazing, clean, sparkly, shiny facilities. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was all very natural, really. So, so yeah, so I was um, down in New Zealand spending a lot of time with hairy Kiwi farmers in string beds. <laughs> and I was really struck by the fact that you could spend your days with these people mm. wandering around and looking at cows and having all these very angry discussions. But then in the evening, they would take you out for dinner. And you would have, you know, Central Otago Pinot Noir or, Mm. you know, a lovely Chardonnay from Hawke's Bay or something like that. And they would talk really sensitively about them. Yeah. And it just really struck me that these kind of rough and tumble men Uh were just suddenly very sensitive and very proud and very interested in all the flavours and aromas of these lovely wines. Okay. And it kind of piqued my interest. And I think as somebody whose wine experience up until that point had very much involved Lambrini at university. (laughs) Sophisticated, I see. Absolutely. You know, you'd mix it with juice or... Probably better. Yeah, if you were feeling really, really fancy, maybe you would stretch to a £10 bottle of Prosecco if if it was a special occasion. Going crazy. Yes, yes. But it was really interesting especially as someone who comes from a family who aren't really big drinkers and so my experience of wine had been really quite limited up until that point but Mm -hmm. it just kind of piqued my interest and then a couple of years later I was working as an international sales manager for an interiors company and spending a lot of time in the states and got a bit burnt out I thought actually no I'm gonna go back to writing I'm gonna quit my job with uh-huh. no plans. Love it. I didn't really have any kind of backup. I didn't really have any kind of solid plan. I just quit, which is not a strategy that I recommend. And I mean, <laughs> Tip number one, don't yeah. do what Jess does. Don't quit without a plan. <laughs> well, it's all worked out all right for you. Well, it has very, very luckily, but I am not willing to give that advice to everybody else just in case. <laughs> <laughs> very risky stuff kids do. don't try this at home yeah kids don't quit <laughs> um 
So yeah, and so I started writing and I was doing all, all kinds of bits and pieces really and ended up getting a little contract to write some blog posts for a small merchant in the southwest somewhere. Okay. And thought, okay, this is pretty cool. I'm writing about wine, which is very interesting. I'm writing, which is the thing that I wanted to do in the first place. And it mm-hmm. all kind of started to click into place. And then, Amazing. yeah, and then I just started to fire out emails to every kind of wine publication that I could think of. And I mean, in hindsight, I had no knowledge of the wine industry. And so my prospecting emails to the editor of Decanter, for example, were probably a little bit optimistic. <laughs> I don't know, naivety works sometimes. Well, not in this the, case, but... Uh, okay. Decanter, call me, please. <laughs> still waiting. Still waiting, five years later. Yeah. And I was supported by a really lovely lady called Helena Nicklin. Okay. Who is part of the Three Drinkers on uh, Amazon of course, now. Yes. Yeah, lovely mm-hmm. Helena. And she gave me my first proper commissions and really supported me and helped me into the industry. And then it grew from there, really. And now I'm five years in and I've somehow, through a combination of just sheer blind luck and a bit of hard work, I've managed to create a career, which I still, on a daily basis, can't really believe. (laughs) (laughs) And you're doing what you love. So at the moment, you're working at Chelsea Vintners, right? Yes, I am. So I had planned always to remain freelance and just focus on writing. But then, unfortunately, I don't know if you heard, but we had a minor global pandemic problem. Oh, Oh, did we? Last oh. year, yeah. Oh, well, do you know what? I must have been sleeping through that. Oh. Yeah, it was, was it, it was, was crazy. Was it bad? <laughs> oh. okay. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> had better years. Oh. Um, and it turns out that, unfortunately, freelance wine writers aren't Ugh. really essential workers. For I think you're essential. Places. I know, thank you. <laughs> You're essential to us, but okay. So a little bit more difficult. Yes. So essentially, I had actually weirdly been on a press trip to New Zealand uh, with with NZ Wine Growers, and I got back to the UK about four days before we went into the full lockdown Mm -hmm. first time. And within that two weeks on returning from New Zealand, I lost every single freelance commission that I had had. I lost all my work. And it's not an understatement to say that I had absolutely nothing left. Wow, okay. Which was not great, mm-hmm. as, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, so I had a very relaxed kind of summer. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking wine going, how am I going to yeah. pay for it all? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how am I going to feed my dog? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> how are you going to feed yourself, young lady? <laughs> and so I thought, look, as much as the dream of being full-time freelance is a lovely one and I had managed to make it work for however long I kind of thought you know something's got to change here so I had a few conversations with a few people and actually my now boss at Chelsea Vintners got in touch with me through Twitter mm-hmm. and said would you be interested in having a chat we're not necessarily hiring but we've read what you write and we like what you do and you know let's see if there's a fit and so that all seemed to go really well and they offered me a job which was such a relief I can't even tell you (laughs) you're like money anything (laughs) 
Thank God. Yeah. And so I now work for CEV four days a week as their business development manager, which basically means that I manage all the kind of marketing activity, which is good because in my previous work life, I'd done a marketing diploma as well. And I'd worked oh, a lot check you in out. kind of marketing. I just mm-hmm. love qualifications. <laughs> Love exam. Yeah, and, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was nice to kind of go back to those skills and I look after, you know, partnerships and hospitality and events and all those kinds of things, which is great. And CV are very interesting because they're a very, very fine wine broker. So mm. it's not a merchant setup, it's buying and selling very, very premium wines for high-end clients. Mm. Which is not a side of the industry that I've really had a huge amount of exposure to before yeah yeah and so you know whilst these definitely are wines that are in my budget or you know my everyday drinking it's really really interesting to have that view into that world of you know Romani Conti and vintage champagnes and all the crazy expensive crazy fancy fine wines of the world so Mm. it's a nice balance between day job and you know all the other things that I do on the side it's two very different sides of the industry which is quite fascinating actually nice and you say you kind of look after the the marketing and the branding at Chelsea Fitness Mm -hmm. of these fine wines how do you market the fine wine What, what are you doing it's more marketing of the company rather than the wine so the big selling point of cv is that they are a specialist in rare vintages very mature vintages of sought after fine wines things like that so it's really for you know passionate collectors who want to build their sellers and want interesting things or you know, anyone anyone who wants to kind of build a bigger collection. So the marketing that I focus on is basically attracting new clients to the business who want mm. us to find those wines for them. Nice, okay. And, yeah, and then also looking after the clients that we do have and making sure that everybody feels loved and appreciated and all that <laughs> kind of thing, which is obviously very important for... Yeah, I see you being a very good love giver. That's it. I, <laughs> I like to think so. Yeah. Well, when you're not giving all your love to your dog, but that's another point. <laughs> yeah, don't get... My boyfriend has some strong feelings about that. We won't oh, go down that road. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine he's feeling very left out. So when you're not at Chelsea Fitness, you said you are obviously still doing some other articles yeah. and you do editing as well, which is fantastic. Where where, where can people find... Obviously, you've got your blog. Mm-hmm. So that is jesslam.co.uk, isn't it? Yes, it is. But where else are people going to find your work? So the way that my life works is that I work for Chelsea Vintners four days a week. And then I have a free day, which is usually a Friday, which actually I kept aside when I joined the business to study because I've just finished my WSCT diploma. Have you done the last one? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yay. I wasn't sure if you'd done the last one. Okay, good. Yeah, so as long as I pass it's over which is lovely still, okay fingers still crossed yeah <laughs> yeah it's not a done deal yet but I'm hoping it will be very soon mm, mm-hmm. yeah. um so I've only just sat my final diploma exams in the last few weeks so I'm now readjusting to having an extra work day a week to play with and whilst yes. in the run-up to exams I wasn't doing a huge amount of 
freelance stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm now taking a few more bits on. So I do all kinds really. I've I've helped a couple of wine startups with content for their websites quite recently. Mm-hmm. I've written a couple of articles for the buyer quite recently. Okay, yes. Yeah, so bits and pieces like that really. So it's the full spectrum of words really. It's anything from researched articles to interviews to website content to social Mm. media content you know as long as it's word-based why words what is it that when did you learn that that language had power oh that's a great question (laughs) i was one of those kids who just read and read and read Mm. when i was little and we were quite remote in where we lived and so a lot of the time you couldn't go and see friends particularly regularly or anything like that so I yeah. just used to like <laughs> a sad little child just reading oh. by herself <laughs> but I just devoured books from a really young age mm. and always loved it and I think it it's just the most natural thing in the world. I think it's just the way that my brain is wired. You know, some people really get science, some people really get maths, and I just have always really got words and language, and it just mm. works for me on a very inherent subconscious level that's hard to explain, but it just yeah. it just it just makes sense, and it's always been really easy for me to work with. Yeah, easy. See, I was going to say for me, (laughs) you know, I write, I do have a blog when I can get around to it and I try to write, but quite clearly speaking (laughs) is a a greater skill for me, but I really struggle with writing. And so, I mean, for you, is it just very easy to transmit your thoughts and put them on paper or do you have a system to get that down? Um, I mean, going back to our earlier conversation about living habits I would say that my approach is one of chaos (laughs) (laughs) so this is not really a tip for people (laughs) no don't do this I mean it sounds like a bit of a cop-out and it's quite a hard thing to elaborate on but it just flows okay and I mean if I've got a title if I've got something to do I will do my research and I will do quite thorough research actually that's one thing that I do focus on quite a lot And once I've written my notes and once I've got all that in my head, I tend to sit in front of my laptop staring at a blank piece of paper for about 45 minutes and then just whack it out. Okay. Right. Well, so actually the tip for people, apart from fact is get good research. Number two is if it doesn't flow, find something else. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I think some people just love it and other people just really find it a huge challenge. And I think... Mm -hmm you know writing should have real joy in it and if it's not something that brings you joy don't do it because I think you can really feel how someone feels about what they're writing in their oh dear should probably stop then no (laughs) (laughs) I actually love the things you write I always read them Um, oh you are so sweet liar (laughs) (laughs) do you believe in writer's block then for you it flows do you believe in writer's block Yeah, I think I do. I think that writer's block is something that is perhaps a little bit more relevant if you're writing fiction. Okay. Mm. Because 
there's so much more imagination and creation involved in that. And I think it's very easy to see how you can really get blocked if you're trying to elaborate on an idea or if you're trying to kind of bring something to life that's really not working. But I think, or I've always found that with nonfiction writing, with pieces that you can research and that you can, you know, find a really solid foundation before, before, before you even start writing, I think it's less of a thing and you know as long as you've got all the facts there and the information you can always create something out of that because you've got the building blocks in your hand Mm, mm. so it might not be the thing that sets the world alight but I think it's much easier to create something out of a thing that already exists yeah yeah and also get a good editor my mum does all my editing oh yeah (laughs) she probably hates me I'm like mum sent you another article she's like oh for god's sake and then she corrects everything because um, I don't know I never really picked up grammar very well in school to be honest I never know when to put the apostrophe is it before the s is it after the s god damn it it is so easy and I mean I am such a stickler for spelling and grammar and all those kinds of things but even I never get it all right first time and actually this is another piece of advice that's now coming out of my brain Mm is that whenever I finish something, I leave it for at least a day. Okay. And just put it out of my mind and forget about it and then go back to it because it is incredible when you look at something that you've done with fresh eyes. Okay. How many mistakes do you <laughs> A few, a few. Right, so let's go on to WSET. Mm-hmm. Um, you, did you decide to do your WSET when you realised that you wanted to do wine writing but actually in theory there was not so much experience behind it? Did you want some a piece of paper to, to showcase your knowledge of wine? Yeah, um, as I mentioned earlier, I am a massive fan of qualifications. <laughs> <laughs> you geek. I uh... just love it. But I think for me, just for me as a person, it's important for me to have that validation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And particularly coming into wine as someone who didn't really know a huge amount about the nuts and bolts of it, I felt it was really important, especially when I started and I did my level two and my level three in quite quick succession. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a huge learning curve because it's quite science-y a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of geography and there's a lot of science and a lot of biology and all that kind of thing, which I'm not historically the most sciencey person in the world. So it was yeah. very interesting to come back to something like that as an adult and really get into it and really enjoy it in a way that I just don't think you're emotionally able to do when you do things like GCSE. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's what I love about the wine world, that I never really enjoyed geography. But now I can talk about mountain ranges and altitude and understand, I guess, photosynthesis Mm -hmm. (laughs) so much more, you know, because I love the plants and I love the wine and therefore everything of the world kind of encompasses that. So, you know, I now know about wine regions or or in fact, capitals or cities or places Mm -hmm. that I never would have known about if it wasn't for the fact that there was a wine growing region just next door yeah exactly and I think it actually becomes a real pleasure to start understanding all those things in the context of something that you're really passionate about Mm -hmm. and 
I just think one of the best things about wine is that all the most beautiful, amazing places in the world to go to, pretty much, are wine regions. This is true. This is very yeah. true. So now tell me, we had a little chat about sparkling wine, didn't we? Because we the did. sparkling wine exam you had was quite recent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of in your head. And did you enjoy learning all about all the different sparkling wines? I love it. Sparkling ah, okay. wine is my jam. <laughs> yeah, no, I think certainly sparkling wine can be my jam as well. It's a, mm-hmm. a delicious, delicious style of wine, of which there are many. So tell me, you know, for anyone taking their exam, um, what advice would you have for people studying the all the different styles of sparkling wine? I think one of the reasons that I enjoyed sparkling wine so much is because... I find it, again, in my head it just kicks and I find it very easy easy to taste all the different styles. And I think that, so sparkling wine is defined by the production method and there are various different ways of making it which are all quite singular and have their own unique characteristics. And I think that the styles of wine that they then result in are themselves very unique and very characteristic. And Mm -hmm. I just think it's a real pleasure to kind of learn about all those things and in terms of the actual exam especially a diploma this I don't want this to sound like a bit of a cop-out but (laughs) one of the one of the great things about the sparkling wine module that you do and also in fact the fortified wine module as well is that purely from the point of view of passing an exam you are fortunate in that there are only so many wines that it can ever be mm-hmm. right? yeah so as opposed to the big still wines of the world exam where it can be any still wine from any major wine growing region of the world and it just completely blows your mind with sparkling and with fortified realistically there's probably i don't know six to eight key styles that you're likely to get yeah and so it's as much about a logical process of elimination and problem solving as it is anything else. And I don't know, that really resonated with me. And for some reason, I just find it much, much easier to accurately taste and assess sparkling wine than I do any other style, which is probably a huge amount to do with the volume that I drink. (laughs) No, but I think you have a point, don't you? Because yes, you can, especially with a traditional method sparkling wine that can be a little bit more difficult to identify but mm-hmm. I remember from doing my exams if it was more mineral lead maybe a little bit chalkier you might want to go to champagne and of course mm-hmm. now English sparkling wine yay but if it's more ripe rich fruit you might want to go to Cap Classique in South Africa or you might mm-hmm. think of uh, California or something and then if it was a course a classic slight rubber edge it might be carver Um, and then of course if you're tasting something and it's really light and it's really floral and you don't notice any yeasty bready aromas or flavors it's going to be maybe sect asti Mm -hmm. or prosecco right so i mean then of course maybe it might be a wine made with riesling and so it might be a bit Mm -hmm. smokier or um lanolin for shenin but i suppose actually when you work out that there's only a certain amount of different flavors you can pick up in sparklings and then you understand as you said the production method you tend to be able to link them together right 
Yeah, precisely. And I think that everything that you've just said is a perfect way of demonstrating what I'm trying to say, because it's that thing of every single style has something distinctive about it. So you just hit the nail on the head. So in my exam, I actually had a, I had a sparkling Shiraz. Ah, that's interesting. Okay, that's actually really worth talking yeah. about, because I think when I say to people that you can get red sparkling and or even sweeter Shiraz sparkling Mm -hmm. uh people are like what so yeah okay so you had a sparkling Shiraz yeah sparkling Shiraz which is a joy to have in a tasting exam because it can only ever a red (laughs) it's just the best thing ever because a red sparkling wine can only really be a sparkling Shiraz or an Italian Lambrusco Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're both quite different um sparkling Shiraz has some real noticeable tannins. It tastes, smells, looks very much like an Australian Shiraz that's had bubbles put into it. Which yeah, very dark and yeah, purpley, yeah. ruby, red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whereas Lambrusco is a bit lighter, a bit more nuanced, and it's relatively easy to tell the two apart. So that was great. Yeah. And then the second two were a traditional method, um, Vouvray. So Chenin Blanc, ah, okay. yeah. mm-hmm. and then a Carver, and exactly as you just said, the Chenin was really quite lazy, had all the mm-hmm. kind of texture and buttery creaminess that you'd kind of look for in a traditional method, but then also that lanolin, yeah. kind of sheep's wool character that Chenin is known for, and mm-hmm. then with Carver, because of the grapes that they use, it does often have this real smokiness which yes. was really detectable. So it's just that lovely distinction. And, you know, as I said, it's just something that really works in my brain. It's something that I find much easier to pick up than with other styles of wine very often, which Mm-mm. which is great. I'm going to point out to everybody listening, I've done several episodes on different styles of wines, and I've actually literally listed them now down. So episode 74, so just a few episodes ago, was actually on with Lambrusco. Episode 51 is on Cap Classique. Episode 48 is Prosecco. Episode 42, Grower Champagne. And episode 27, Carver. So you can actually go and get far more detail on some of those episodes. But Jess, I'm intrigued. What is your favourite style of sparkling? Do you have one? Um, I am a real lover of traditional methods. (laughs) In all its forms. Um, Uh But, you know, I love champagne. And I think champagne is so much more often than what people perceive it to be. It's not just big Grand Marc and those few very famous brands that we know and love. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's an incredibly nuanced, interesting, subtle category if you drill down a bit into it. But then, yeah. you know, as we'll come on to a bit later, there are so many different interpretations of that style of winemaking around the world and you mentioned Cap Classique which is yes. the South African version which I absolutely love and the value there oh, oh my god yes. I know just incredible and mm-hmm. then you have you know the states you have Australia you have other areas of France you know Cremont is another incredibly oh, interesting and for value mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and I think I always love serving things like Cremont or Cap Classique to my friends who often aren't quite as well versed in all the different styles of sparkling mm-hmm. and it's really interesting to say to people actually this is made in exactly the same way as champagne often with the very same grapes 
but this was 10.99 a bottle versus you know 30, 35 40, 50 yeah. quid mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i just love the reaction because people are always like oh my god this is incredible i can't believe it yes you f- they feel like they've won and yeah that, that's so funny because i have a personal story i was running um the bromley wine society which mm-hmm. of course has been on pause i pretended i didn't know what happened in the last year and a half <laughs> but i lied i was what? totally here the whole time and it was terrible anyway so i put that on pause and it's still on pause but my first ever Bromley Wine Society. My brother attended, great supporter, and he came with his wife. And my brother's not really that into wine. The the wife, she is, but she doesn't necessarily know that much about things. And mm-hmm. I served a bottle of Pomgratz, which is a Cap Classique. Yeah. And the bottle, the standard brute, non-vintage, is £10 a bottle. And funny enough, you can get it on Amazon, next day delivery, prime. Like that is amazing exactly you don't even have to wait so I served this so I served this pomegranate and they both fell in love with it to the point that they now any celebration I come around their house and there's bottles and bottles of pomegranates she has a friend in Ireland her best friend lives in Ireland and they can't get it so she sends over bottles of pomegranates to her for her birthday so it's become like not just my family now is all like oh my god pomegranates pomegranates then then her family and then her friends and her friends family and it's just so wonderful like from this one small moment of showcasing in incredible great value traditional method sparkling and seeing how so many people's lives have been affected see what we do Jess mm-hmm. and that joy. is the joy of this yes. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember what questions you got in your sparkling wine exam yes I had a question on Asti production okay and then I had one on the growing environment and the wine's made in California okay yeah which was yeah really interesting because there is a lot of really very good high quality traditional method sparkling wine made in certain areas of California mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then the final one was a more businessy question on how champagne producers can find best routes to market um, okay yeah, so, so quite often the examiners will work in a lot of wine business and okay, yeah. you know, wine production and things things like that. So it was an interesting, an interesting, slightly testing set of questions, but really interesting. Well, I would say for everybody, and you mentioned about Asti, and I haven't actually spoken about Asti, and maybe I will go on to that at some point. But for mm-hmm. everyone, I mean, this comes from Piemonte up in the northern part of Italy, and it's such a fresh soft style of sparkling and my personal favorite because it is made pretty much in the same way is Moscato Dasty and I have one I have one oh, in my fr- yeah. I have one in my fridge right now but because it does tend to have it's off dry to medium in terms of sweetness mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the most ideal sparkling just to pull out and drink for me it's typically 5.5 percent alcohol yeah well I was about to say on the low alcohol I was told a lovely story when I was learning about Asti which was that because this is quite a really low alcohol wine yeah it's quite sweet and it's also relatively low fizz so Mm -hmm. it hasn't got those really sort of persistent constant bubbles that you find in a champagne it's more yes. of a soft a soft yes. effervescence and so 
a way that Italians really love to consume it, especially around Christmas, is as a breakfast aperitif. Oh, I with, didn't know that. Yeah, with panettone. Oh my God, that is so good. For Christmas, yeah. everybody, actually, to be honest, that is the one time when I believe in having lots of sugar. <laughs> yeah, me too. In the morning, it's like you can do that at Christmas time. Yeah, I can imagine. So for anybody, we say Moscato d'Asti. So whether it be Asti or whether it be Moscato d'Asti, it's made from the Muscat grape and that's just mm-hmm. such a beautiful, floral, peachy, aromatic mm-hmm. style grape variety. And it's tank fermented. So we mentioned like sect, asti, prosecco. It's always going to be the cleaner floral style of sparkling. It's not aged on the lees. So it doesn't have any of this, this bready nature. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's tank fermented, just like prosecco. So the Sharma mm-hmm. method, but it only has one fermentation. And that's why as well, it has that extra sugar sweetness in it but it's definitely for anybody who wants to give it a go I think you've hit the nail on the head Jess panettone yeah I think it's brilliant I mean I don't know if I'm allowed to make recommendations for specific wine yes you are but there (laughs) there is a fabulous company called the little fine wine company ah they do the smaller bottles don't they yes they specialize in lovely half bottles of, of premium wines and I can't remember what the brand is, but they only have one half bottle of Moscato Dasty listed on their website. It's mm-hmm. about 10.95 for half a bottle, I think. And I have tasted it on a few occasions now, and it is just delicious. And I think it's a great thing to order if you've never tried it before. If you if you aren't sure that you're going to like it, just get a half bottle, give it a test, see what you think. It's delicious. Yeah, to be honest, I have never had anybody not enjoy a Moscato Dusty. And it's, no. it is something, on a really sunny day, you could sit outside, uh, have a little bit of fruit on the table, and just be knocking back these bottles of Moscato mm-hmm. Dusty. Oh, easily. Yeah. And just for anyone who says that maybe sweeter styles they don't want if you get classic asti asti will actually be typically less sweet and higher alcohol whereas moscato de asti is lower alcohol but higher in sweetness so everyone go and explore that little region and that style because it is it's delicious isn't it it is it is lovely and i think there's another really interesting point there that's just sprung into my mind when you Mm. mentioned sweetness which is another thing that I always find intriguing about sparkling wine, is that when we drink still a lot of the time, people often are very specific about the fact that they'd like a dry wine, you know, mm-hmm. a dry Sauvignon or a dry Chardonnay. <laughs> but yet those same palates often drink a lot of Prosecco or favourite yeah. Prosecco as their fizz of choice. And I always find it really interesting that people don't tend to realise that the sugar levels in Prosecco tend to sit anywhere from about 10 to 15 grams per litre. So they're actually off dry wines the majority of the time. But some of that sweetness is masked by the high acidity and by the bubbles themselves and makes it feel really refreshing. So actually you're drinking a wine that is much, much sweeter than you give it credit for. Absolutely. And in fact, I always say this in many of these podcasts, have a look on the bottle. If you see sec 
which or in fact sometimes mm-hmm. they say English dry that doesn't actually mean dry dry in fact <laughs> no. it has yeah exactly it's one of the wonderful wordings <laughs> of the wine industry and there will be more sugar in there than brute so I'm always, everyone look for brute if you want a much drier style which you can get for Prosecco but typically as you just said the standard Proseccos that you're going to buy between say seven and ten pounds very often are the sec aren't they which yeah. has more sugar in there so mm-hmm. for, for people to know So that's the end of part one with Jess. But if you tune in next week, we're going to be looking at Tasmanian sparkling wines. Now, going back to the conversation of Moscato de Asti, Jess mentioned the littlefinewinecompany.co.uk. And I've had a look to see what Moscato d'Asti she was talking about. Now, funnily enough, it is by the producer Viette. Now, that is exactly the bottle in my wine fridge right now. So there you go. That's two of us. So you should definitely give it a go. Now, Viette actually are a fantastic producer. They're known for doing these really quite cool artist labels and they've been doing them since the 1970s. So once you recognize one, you'll recognize all of them. They do incredible Barolos. They do beautiful Arnez. And in fact, they're quite a historic producer. They were one of the first wineries to produce Grand Cru single vineyard Barolos. And in fact, the first producer to ever make a single variety, Arnez. Arnez is a white grape variety from Piemonte. And before that time, it was seen as massively inferior to Nebbiolo, the grape used in Barolo. And so they would actually, in fact, plant the Arnez simply to distract the birds. So the birds would come and eat the Arnez and leave the Nebbiolo grapes alone. Well, of course, massive things have changed now. So we have Vietti to thank for that. Another producer, if you want to try Moscato Dusty, which I highly recommend, would be Micheli Chialo. I have a love affair with these guys. In fact, they were the first winery I ever visited on my wine journey. Piemonte, as a wine region, has so much to offer you. In fact, this episode's about sparkling wines. There are two you should know about. So first of all, Moscato d'Asti, we have mentioned. To go a little bit deeper, this is the Moscato Bianco grape, which is also known as Muscat Blanc à Petit Grand. And this is one of the most noble of the Muscat family and actually has an incredibly long history. I believe one of the oldest of grape varieties, in fact. Now, as the name suggests, Moscato d'Asti, the majority is grown in the Provence of Asti, but you'll also find it in regions close by, Alessandria and Cuneo. But moving away from sweet, peachy and frothy, we have Brachetto d'Aqui. Now, Brachetto is the grape variety. It's red. Now, you can get it in a still style or passito, in fact, but the sparklings are fantastic. The styles I've certainly enjoyed the most are slightly frizzante and with sweetness. And just like Moscato d'Asti, they're typically at the 5.5% alcohol level. So yay for us, we can drink more. They're amazing with chocolate and also perhaps like fruit tarts to go with all that lovely strawberry and raspberry fruit notes. And just like Moscato tends to come from Asti and also Alessandria, that's also where you're going to find the Brachetto de Agui. 
Now, if you're looking for some reliable producers for these styles, go for the two Bs, Manfi or Brida. And with Christmas out of the way and Valentine's Day coming up, this is always a fabulous little option to finish your meal with. Right, well, I hope that's got you all sparkling inside. I shall leave you with a wine quote to finish this episode. And I do love speaking about sparkling wine because it also means I can use a quote about champagne because there are many. So to end the episode today, I shall give you a quote from Oscar Wilde, playwright and poet. And he said, pleasure without champagne is purely artificial right well we don't want an artificial life and he did say this quote before all the other fantastic sparkling wines of the world have cropped up so as long as you're cracking open a bottle of fizz you're winning at life thank you as always for listening do like share subscribe if you haven't already share this podcast with your wine loving friends you already know what's happening next week so i raise my glass to you until then cheers to you